Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. And joining us very briefly this week is C.R. Rowanson. How you been? How you doing? And why are you here? Doing good. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So I kind of showed up on the spur of the moment because in August of 2021, which should hopefully be now as you're listening to this, I'm running an Indiegogo campaign for my book that I'm going to be launching later this year. And it's called The Magic System Blueprint. It's a magic building tool that I've developed that's designed to help you quickly get a holistic understanding of your magic system, how it works, and how it can fit into your world and your story. And it's been running two weeks at the time we're recording this. Uh, I've been pretty blown away by the support. We actually hit 40% in the first 24 hours, which has been crazy. So the blueprint, I really, I really worked hard to distill things down to a couple of universal attributes that all magic systems have and then put that in a visual layout, a worksheet, kind of like a soundboard, so that you can move the sliders up and down to represent what where they're at for your magic system. And on top of that, this has taken me about, it's honestly been about a decade of total analysis and practice and development to get to where I could actually articulate this stuff the way I have. But I'm really pleased with where it's at now. In fact, one of my advanced readers likened it to, he said it's like save the cat, but for magic systems. And I'm totally happy with that analysis. <laughs> That's the blueprint. I don't know if you guys have any questions for me about any of that. Well, and also, just so you know, this episode will drop on the 20th of August. So it ends at the end of the month, right? Yeah, the campaign ends September 4th. It's running okay. through midnight September 4th. Perfect. Um, and we'll definitely put a link in the show notes for people to uh, jump on board with that for sure. But uh, any questions there, gents? Can you talk about the process of like how the book is going to give you a holistic overview of a magic system? Like what are kind of the systems that you set up to help it help it move the uh, person who's using it? So the blueprint itself, like I said, has a number of those sliders and dials that talk about things like the four types of magic systems, the flux of your magic, the prevalence of the magic, the seed crystal that you're focusing on for the inspiration of your magic, and all of those kind of fundamental elements, ease of use, that kind of thing. And as you start mapping those out, you can use that to explore the implications of where you're setting it and how that would affect the characters and the world around it. And one of the coolest things I found about it, one of the things I talk about is the perspective you take while mapping the blueprint. You want to pick a specific point of view and a specific time. And that can be you as the creator, that can be a character in the story, or it can be your reader. And it allows you to hone in the experience that you want people to have for the magic system. And that alone, I, I get really excited about that alone because you can take multiple snapshots of your magic over the course of your book to map how it's changing or map how somebody's perception of the magic changes. Or if you're really stuck in your story and you have it all mapped out, just move one of the dials somewhere and you just had a big event happen in your story that can start carrying you through to the next next plot hook. A lot of our listeners and a lot of our friends would actually really be into it and help support it. 
And so you, by the time this one airs, we'll have about two weeks left in the campaign, right? That's right. Yeah, it's going through the end of September 4th. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for jumping on and hope people hope you get your goal and I'm stoked. I can't wait to check it out. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, thank you so much, guys. If you have um let me know if you have questions. I'm happy I'm happy to send you guys examples that I have. And when it's ready, uh, I would love to have you guys as advanced readers. It's not quite ready for that yet, but awesome. Thanks. Sign me up. I need it. Yeah, we're there for it. Clark, you and I haven't talked about magic systems before, so uh, you know I know this is kind of like your bread and butter here. Um, so I'm excited for you to have this, you know, for it to be open to the public, because I know you do great work with it. So this is an exciting chapter for you. I really appreciate that. This week, gents, Brent has got an activity for us. Um, should I just pass it to you? What are we doing? What's happening? Okay, so this week we are actually going to we're going to dissect another short story but instead of it being my work we're going to actually look at an award nominated short story so the short story that um that i chose for this episode is my country is a ghost it was in uncanny magazine and it was nominated for hugo not hugo sorry nebula for best short story so um i wanted to do this one just because like I felt like it is such a powerful example of how to tell a story with simple language and to just really just say uh, just say so much without saying much at all. And that's that's kind of why I wanted to do this one. So that so I hope you guys are excited about it like I am because I really enjoyed this story. And so, uh, what, the what's author, the story and author again? Yes. Uh, see, I was going. I was going to do that. All, all right. right. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. It's all right. So, this, well, all right. So, short story again for the audience is "My Country Is a Ghost," and I apologize in advance for the name, but I have Eugenia Trentfall, I think, and uh, it is a Nebula-nominated short story. It was with some excellent company in that category, so it was just a stacked year for short stories. But um, this one was my favorite out of the ones that were nominated. So. It didn't win, but um, it's still just it's still just a great story. So I really wanted to dig into it. And so, okay, so let's kick it off. So, okay, what I wanted to start off with, the way I kind of want to structure this is I want to start with like some micro questions and then build out into more macro questions. So I wanted to start off with, I'm actually using Will's three word thing, but I'm twisting it for this story. So I'm going to go around to each of you and I want you to give three words that you use to describe this short story and why you use those three words. So who wants to go first? Nick. All right. You go ahead. Get it over with. Right. Um, Okay. My three words. Pain, sorrow, emptiness. Okay. I I agree with all those, but wow. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. Uh, So. Maybe a little of this is current world situations affecting me um, yeah. a, a little bit. So yeah. pain, right? Yeah. And this story is the pain of a lost one, pain of a of someone you can't bring with you. Um, and then it, the pain of not belonging, of not fitting. Uh, I guess you could say the pain, pain of being an outsider right. and it, you can't do anything about it. 
uh, sorrow. The whole tone feels sorrowful to me. Like it's like the main character can never achieve that one thing because they're always losing something. Oh man, what was my last one? Pain, sorrow. Uh, did you say loss? Was it loss? I don't know. See, I'm, I'm like out of this. Nobody was uh, writing it down. We get, we can't go back to the tape. I know, right? <laughs> um, emptiness. Emptiness. Okay, yes, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, emptiness. Um, and I say emptiness because the whole time she's, she, the, the main character is trying to fill that void and never does. And she's in a new world in a new country and trying to adapt and fit in. And no matter where she turns or goes, she finds emptiness. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I I like all those, so I'm not gonna comment too much. I'm gonna move on to the next person. All right, Marshall, you got yours. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with mystical, wanderlust, and displaced. Uh, why did I write these down? Okay, so to me, the whole feel of the piece was very mystical. Like it was just so. It was cool to kind of look into a world where just ghosts were around and that was just, you know, and it was just commonplace. Everybody understood it. They knew why they were there and it was all good. And, but looking from a ghostless world at this, it's like, wow, when, when did this start and what would have happened when it started? You know what I'm saying? Has it always been this way or was it like, Oh shit. Now ghosts are around. Now how do we deal with this? Like that just, that's just, so that was the kind of feel for me, I thought that was cool. Um, I said wanderlust because, like Nick was saying, she's just she's. I feel like she's wandering, um, looking, and never really. And I don't want to say never finding, but just coming up short and just constantly struggling to um, to be belong. You know, so just kind of bouncing around, looking for a place. So that's why I put that um, and displaced because in the very beginning, you get that feeling of like, I have to go, I have to go now and everything is going to be totally different. Um, and that's the tone, of, you know, ghost aside, that's the tone of the piece really is, yeah. you know, I'm in a, I'm in a new place and I have to figure out how to be here and how to make this home. So pretty, pretty powerful uh, tone in my opinion. So those are my three words. Will. All right. Yeah. Will last but not least. Um, sad, triggering, enraged. Um, I didn't catch that middle word. Sorry. What was that? Triggering. Yeah. It's triggering, enraged, and sad. I'll go. Those were the three that I picked. So I guess I'll talk about sad. I think when you lose people that you're close with, it, um, it's hard to move on. And while I would equally love to have the ghost of people that I lost, um, there's a, there's a double-edged sword. Um, I have trouble moving on as it is. If they were there, would I be able to move on, um, at all? Um, triggering because the story brings up just a lot of being a child of a family that my parents, uh, my mother specifically, uh, was 
torn from her family. Um, enraged because I think of just things I went through of losing people and it's enraging to me because there's nothing, you know, I can do to stop it. And that's exactly when I think of the story. Um, It's like whenever you read something, it's not, you're just not getting what the author intended, but you're also bringing all of your own experiences and relationships to it. So reading it um, was all of those three words. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with every word that you guys use for it. Cause, and, and I think that's the, that's the beauty of this story is that so much is being said with like out having to be said in the story. Like, I think that's actually what I hit on in the next thing. Okay. So we kind of talked about this last week when we mentioned my story and talking about first sentences. So I wanted to do the same thing with this story. So I'll read the first sentence for the uh, for the audience here. So the first sentence in the story is when when Niobe, I'm thinking that's how you pronounce it, tried to smuggle her mother's ghost into the new country. She found herself being passed from one security officer to another, detailing her mother's place and date of death over and over again. So I want to ask you guys, why do you think the first sentence is effective? And like what information are you immediately able to pull out of that first sentence about the story? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's a really good first sight. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, for, so the first thing I kind of thought of, um, kind of going back to what I've learned through college and things like that, right? Um, when someone reports a, any type of abuse, specific sexual assault, they're, they try to limit the number of times they have to retell their story. And so they don't try to pass pass them off like you know they're not important and things like that so they don't have to keep living their trauma and the first thing i thought of was like how terrible is that is you're just no one actually cares but you have to bring up your mother's death over and over and over and over again right it's it's a very traumatic loop yeah it's dehumanizing as hell yeah yeah that does thank you well, what I also found really interesting, the choice of words, um, the word smuggle has a lot of different ways you could take that, a lot of nuances to it. And the fact that she's trying to smuggle something um, makes it, it connects right to that passing from security officer because something is not right. Right. So she's trying to get away with something, too. So that speaks to maybe desperation and that kind of thing, like what she's trying to do, because your first choice really isn't to smuggle something usually. Right. Right. Um, Because, I mean, that the connotation there is it's illegal. Right. So I thought I thought that choice of words was really important. Right. And that's a very loaded word when you think about um, being an immigrant, especially in Mm -hmm. this country. You hear that word. There's all sorts of connotations that people want to attach to it. So, yeah. I mean, I think what the first sentence does is it's setting uh, a world building tone. It's letting us know that in this world, ghosts are um, a part of daily life and can be seen. Uh, We are also seeing how it's grounded in an immigrant experience. 
And we are also setting the tone that this is a character that is um, having to relive the pain of losing her mother when you have to talk about it over and over again. And well, I just can identify. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, and, and also too, what I kind of picked up on was um new country. Like that's kind of a loaded phrase too, especially when you think about it. it it's obviously this is a place where they're looking for something better, but it's already starting off right off the bat dehumanizing. So like, I think it, it, it really set like a thematic tone for the story right off the bat. You kind of knew what this, what this main character was going to have to go through in the process of this story. So yeah, again, for everybody, first sentence that, especially for short stories, when you're trying to sell a short story, you want that first sentence to just, because you're going up against, depending on the magazine, hundreds of other people. So you've got to, that slush reader or that editor, you've got to grab their attention right away and hold on to it and make sure they want to keep going past that first that first page, really. But that first sentence is what gonna, is what's going to do it. So I would strongly encourage people who want to get to the short story market, work on that first sentence. Like that's going to be your that's your gateway. All right. So beyond the first uh, sentence and the three words you guys use, I think. What you kind of all mentioned, too, is like how there's a lot of stuff happening, like underneath the surface of the story. And I kind of wanted to talk about, too, like how stories work, not just on the information they provide you as a reader, but the information they choose to withhold. So one thing I found interesting in this story is that the actual country that the main character goes to is never once named. So I wanted to kind of like get your guys' thoughts on why do you think that? The author chose to never name the country. You know, I that popped into my head early on, and I actually went back at some point. I was like, "Did they say where she was going?" And they never, and 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 the author never does. And I, I find it really interesting because you guys were talking about going to a new land or new country, starting over, you know, immigration, that kind of thing. And I, the way I took it was, it doesn't matter because the experience of going somewhere else can be anywhere different for anybody right so i think that's that's the way i took it um i don't know what do you guys think i agree i mean i don't think it was necessary to the plot to drive story it's not like they were telling a specific story of a specific you know a region that went through something like and there's i mean you carry a ghost with you everywhere so it's kind of easy to say it's not oh, it's not part of any of this history or replicates anything here. I mean, this is honestly what Brent was talking about. There's so much being said without having to say it. Mm. Because the reason that I would most likely think that she did not include the country was because if you said it was a country, specifically, let's just say it was the United States, um, that automatically puts people on the defensive and when you're trying to affect people's narrative, right? Because let's think about what time we're living in. We can give facts all we want to people. They're so ingrained into their own narrative, okay, that they don't want to look at facts. So by admitting out the country, each individual person 
is taking that on of what country they think it is, where that person is coming from. So you have a better way to narratively get into that person's head who might think that all immigrants are trying to smuggle something in or all immigrants are trying to do this. I think, you know, um, that is why it's done really well. That's why we also don't um, know what language the other people right. are speaking because, you know, we're reading it in English, right? So if you wanted to, if you wanted to really get into someone's head, who's an English native speaker, they're automatically thinking of their own experience, most likely of, ha of living through this character and having to learn to speak another language and how isolating that could be. And then on top of that, you have this metaphor of a ghost not being there to guide you when you see all other people have ghosts and speaking from an immigrant's perspective. There's a lot of things that are lost when you are not in your home country there's a lot of things that will make you feel empty and you're, you're clinging to not just build a new life, but also to remember your past. And I think that's what is really powerful and thoughtful about this uh, piece. Yeah. And I, I, I know as I was reading it, there was a point where I, without even realizing it, started automatically assuming it was America. I had to stop myself. I'm like, wait, why am I yeah. assuming that? Why am I assuming? I mean, hell, I know this place ain't that great. So why am I assuming <laughs> that this is the, the place that she would want to flee to or come to? And I think that's the other, if you're really being introspective about this story, I think that's the other part of it that is interesting. It makes you challenge your own assumptions about like, well, why am I assuming this? Why am I assuming that? This is where she came from and this is what she's dealing with. I like what you said, though, Brent, like this, you know, we live here. We, I, I made that assumption, too, at some point. But at the same time, what you said, I think, is really important. We live here. It, it, it ain't that great. It could. I mean, especially for a, an immigrant coming here. So, like, why is that automatically the destination we think of? You know, right. And I think that's actually kind of part of like how how Americans in general, even even the best intentioned ones are being having propaganda thrown at us mm -hmm. so constantly that it becomes ingrained because i think we have this idea that like we we get fed the idea that oh if you're an immigrant from you know anywhere in the globe of course you're coming to america of course you're coming here like this is the destination this is the hot ticket and it's like right yeah so i so i think at least probably for western readers i'm I would imagine that's probably something that ha happens if you're being more introspective about the story as you're reading it yeah. and not just letting your assumption dominate. Um, I just want to also add, though, that having lived in London and having lived in India for both places more than a year, I would say in India, I think it would be very hard for people not to think of this story as someone coming to America. Um, I, I say that because it's not just us who think it's so great. You know, that propaganda of this American dream or this thing is fed overseas, you know, in a lot of ways where it's not the same when it comes to other Western countries, right? So like when I lived in India, what 
most struck me is that everyone talked about this freedom more so than even like the Netherlands, Sweden, Switzerland. Yes. Interesting. Uh huh. And that really struck a chord to me. And that to me is about the American machine, Mm. right? That we are American imperialists. And I think this is me and Nick were talking about this earlier through text. I think this is very much so of what has happened in Afghanistan. Yeah. We didn't go in there to rebuild a country. We went in there with our own agenda to get our enemy and we stayed there for our own selfish purposes. Right. And that, unfortunately, I don't believe, I don't think that is what truly what real Americans want. I think um, at the heart of us and just having lived outside of the country, you know, um, and maybe it's just my social circle. We want to push things forward. We want things to be better. We want Mm. things to be equality. But when you go to a new country and you're trying to build a new life, I think um, you're still trying to hold on to that piece of home. You know, am I babbling? Am I making any no, sense? You're, you know, no, you're, no, no, great. no. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, I mean, well, current current world situation, um, things like that is hitting really close to home for me. I'm still processing a lot, but like this, this story reminded me of that. It, it reminded me of all the kids that, you know, when I was deployed, I got to see and hang around like the schools that were built and things like that. And, and for me, they're losing that. And in this story, I'm seeing those kids having being forced to go somewhere else and they're leaving home behind, you know, and they, but they don't have a choice. They have to. I think you can interpret this story in so many different ways. And I love that Brent picked this story because let's think about it for a minute. You can, you can identify with the story if You've never been out of the country and your family's not immigrants because of the idea of not fitting in, you know, of not being a part of your a community, you know, of that. Like when I moved to New York and I was really excited about like gay culture and everything and just to be around that, I still felt and sometimes I still feel this now that I don't fit in. I am not the... um the it thing that they want that I, and I would even have people, other gay men say to me then and say to me now, you know, I, I think too much. I have too many opinions. And I think that is something that like, when I read this story, it's constantly about feeling like you're outside of yourself and you're trying to find home. Uh, on a, on a quickly more technical note on this story and i think i'm gonna i'm gonna circle back and i i love what you guys are saying and i can see so much of w- what i know about you guys and i and i and will when you said the word triggering i i i see it you know and i read this story i was like oh nick's gonna feel this will's probably gonna see you know what i mean like i love that we're having this conversation but i want to go back to what brent said a little bit ago because why did i think this was america and there's a couple little things in here that to me are very American, like the cul-de-sac. Like yeah. I, I'm sure they exist in other parts of the world, 
But I grew up in cul-de-sacs. My dad built houses. And like we always ended up in a cul-de-sac, like the last two houses we lived in. And it's just to me that it's very suburban American deal. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, that was why I thought of it. It doesn't matter. I'm sure there are cul-de-sacs exist other places, but that 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 was just one of those little hints. There's a couple other ones there too, but we'll go ahead. There's also this great line that I think when Brent's, you know, mentioned dehumanizing. Um, I want to read this one line because this is the part that I started really getting choked up. She gave the necklace to this impassive woman and let her drift down the aisle as if a forceful gust of air ushered her away. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, at, at, at first I wanted to be very angry with this security officer and her, and her callousness. But then I thought how many other people has she done this with at some point, you can't care about every single person that comes through in that trauma or you won't be able to do your job. Right. It's like any person who like uh, people like talked about, you know, working as paramedics or people who talked about, you know, working in like hospice care. Like you have to at some point build some walls up or you're, you're, you're just all you're going to deal with is. Yeah. And, and essentially what she's doing is going through customs. Like when we got off the boat, like, you know, when we went on the cruise, you know, you have to go through customs and they ask you if you brought X, Y, and Z with you. If you did, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I could chat with somebody in customs all day, but they're still not going to let me through with something that I'm not supposed to come through with. You know what I mean? And you're right, right, Brent. At some point they have to be like, you're a cool guy, but you still can't bring this into the country. You know what I mean? Right. For I think for me, the concept that felt the most American were the ghostless. Uh, and the yeah. reason I say that is because, the homeless. <laughs> well, not just that. I think, and of course, you know, I always like bring my own experiences into this. You know, she gave up her mother, the ghost of her mother. And I thought to myself, and maybe it was horrible to think this, but I was like, at least she got a choice. Mm-hmm. Well, black Americans, our ghosts were ripped from us violently taken. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a choice. You didn't get to decide, oh, well, do I keep my mother? Oh, because I think that's what the ghosts were too. They weren't just people. It was culture. It was mm-hmm. history. It was, you know, um, yeah, like just your ancestry. Like a connection with your past, too. Right. Yeah. Right. And as horrible as her choice was, she had a choice. And I think there's, especially when we think of the American story, there's so many people who didn't have a choice and their ghosts were like ripped from them. And yeah. to me, I don't know, just the idea of like, these communities of ghostless, it just made me think like, oh, that feels that feels American. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to take the ghostless part. I I I'm with you. I I totally hear that, and I like that better than what I thought. But I immediately thought like, these are the people who have lost everything. They're homeless on the street. They're huddled together, like almost for warmth. Like homeless folks, like that are disregarded in, in the American society. You know, you walk through big cities and see this, and I know that's kind of how I took it. I like yours better. But I think it could also be both, which is also really I mean, I sad. I think it could be both. Yeah, I think it, I absolutely think it could be both. That's the strength of this. Uh, I mean, I think the ghostless are just like what it's like to be a gay kid and not have, not be able to take any part of your family with you because you are ostracized and you don't have a choice but to find people that love you and support you as is and has some type of identity in that longing 
also, I think another thing is that, I mean, I speak three languages, right? Like I speak English, Spanish, and um, French. And um, I still don't think I'm smart enough. And I think when you, when people go to another country and most Americans, 90 to 5% of them will never have this experience um, in our country, which is sad that they're automatically looked upon like they're stupid because they don't speak the language of the country that they're in. Not realizing that learning a language, especially when you just grew up with one dominant language is very, very difficult. It's very hard, especially as a teenager and an adult, you know, and um, I wish people would have more patience with people who don't speak the native language because they're not dumb people. They're just learning and they might not have had the same opportunities. And that's really what I thought about when, when, you know, Novi talks about not understanding the language and how she's turning inside herself and this grief of, of, you know, I don't know enough or I'm not enough and I just need a break and I just want to have friends. I feel like that's something I really, really thought about a lot. Yeah. And this is something I see a lot in my day job. Uh, just today, four or five times, I have a student who speaks Spanish and English um, who was helping me hand out yearbooks today, right? But there were parents that were bringing their kids onto campus, maybe had the freshman kids or something, and they were they didn't speak English, but the kids did, but they wanted a tour. And I asked my student, I said, can you take them around? And I just couldn't imagine like that feeling. You know what I mean? I mean, I've, I've been other places where everybody speaks a different language, but eventually you find someone that speaks English. But that's really isolating and trying to raise a kid in a world like this too. Like, I just, I don't know. I just was feeling for some parents today. Like it was, yeah. it was a rough day. So what Will said is like, you know, something that we see a lot, especially teaching because there's so many kids who speak, you know, their parents only, you know, only speak Spanish and, you know, they're struggling and they need extra help to be able to communicate with those parents, you know? Yeah. So I remember in South Korea, they made me feel like an idiot. I mm-hmm. will say that South Koreans oh, definitely wow. were very much like Americans in terms of like how they responded to you not uh, understanding everything. Now, I don't know if that was a little bit of racism thrown into probably, probably, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was very, it, 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 that, that, those few days when I was by myself in Seoul was very like eye opening in terms of like, you know, having compassion for people here who may not necessarily know the language. Because, yeah, it wasn't even just, you know, I, I tell this story all the time, but so in South Korea, like when you're ordering food, like you have to let them know when you're ready. They're, they're not going to come over to you like in America and actually like, hey, how you doing? Here's the menu, blah, blah, blah. You're just supposed to look at the menu, figure out what you want and let them know. I didn't know that. First restaurant I'm in. They let me sit there for an hour oh. before anybody came over. And then uh-huh. I found out later and I was, and then the lady like got so frustrated with me and like, she just, she literally like huffed and walked away. Like, mm. so I wouldn't just say that's an American thing. I think it could happen. Now, again, that may have been some racism thrown in. Maybe I would have got a little treated a little bit differently if I was white, but yeah, I've definitely had that experience. So I think when I was reading this story, I was like, Oh yeah, poor thing. I, 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 I only had to deal with it for a few days, but I know what that feels like. It sucks. Yeah. 
Nick, you're going to say something? Yeah. Um, so did a, did a thing in college where the English teacher actually asked the class who's in favor of having America force people to learn English for immigrants versus people who were against it. They made us argue our different sides, right? And through that, like, and the whole class kind of came together on it. Like, we learned that a lot of these communities find each other and then find ways to communicate outside of that with the rest of the world, right? And so some in, in some instances, maybe learning that country's language isn't important to them because they can get what they need without learning it. And so that was a different aspect. I didn't catch what you guys were saying on it because that's the first thing that came to my mind was like, oh, no, she'll it's just inherent. Like she'll be able to she'll be OK. Well, and ultimately she kind of was right. But it took a lot of searching to find what she was looking for, you know. Right. And it also kind of took her like getting out of her own head a little bit, especially when she realized like, oh, this guy Remy, he's he's suffering too in his own way. And I didn't, I, I, you know, I've been so trapped in my own kind of sadness. I didn't know, I didn't think he was having his too. And I thought that was well, actually, since we're talking about sadness, that actually is one line I wanted to bring up here because like uh-huh. it was such an impactful line, and it and it. And I think it speaks to so many different experiences. So the line was um, too tired, she said, because she did not want to say too sad. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about like just why that line is like, at least for me, it carried so much emotional weight and it spoke to it spoke to so many different things going on in the story. And I just kind of wanted to hear what, how, what y'all thought about that particular line when you were reading it. I mean, I can I'll start. Go, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I, I was just trying to find the line I wanted to read. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I need to find the line mean, again. I think it it brings up a lot about sometimes how we hide our depression and hide um, what probably really needs to be said, but sometimes we're too ashamed or too beat down to actually give it words. And that's where I hope that we surround ourselves with people that push that out of us and that are sensitive enough to ask us what's really wrong and to nudge us a little bit more. Um, that's what I, that's what I thought about when I read that line. Well, and I don't know. And, and the context of that line is important too, because the paragraph before that, um, I just really like this. Uh, our ghosts are enough. We are enough. Right. And that's something Novani heard or Novi could hear behind the concern was our ghosts are enough. We are enough, but their ghosts were too different and living people were harder to be around. And then later in that paragraph, I just love that she, that was what she was asked when to join her coworkers after a shift, she would always decline. And that's, that was her response was, and, and, and again, that's like, not only like what Will said, you know, masking depression and sadness, but also like the offer is there to connect, but the sadness is keeping her from doing that. Right. It's like tethering her to like, 
I don't think she she I think at that point in the story she had not processed any of it. I think it she was still just kind of like she was on autopilot. Yeah. I still don't think she even processed the idea of like what she had given up to be there. Yeah, and I'm looking it's about halfway through the story, a little over halfway yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, and also, also too is that like if you ever go to another country that doesn't speak the language, it is also exhausting, right? It's exhausting understanding the language, what people literally mean, what what the subtext is to the subtext, you know, right. how how different body language is, you know, in certain cultures, you know, that isn't Western, I would say. Like when I went to India, it was just, I literally had no plan. I literally like basically roamed around the country for three months. It was not glamorous y'all. I was like 21. Um, (laughs) I was not the eat, pray, love. Okay. I didn't find no ashram until like four months into my journey. Okay. (laughs) Um, all this. And I'm trying to find myself like some asshole. Um, (laughs) so, so I think it just, I cried every day. Everyone, I cried every day. Um, I think, that also you internalize that and that makes you sad because all, all you keep thinking is, is that I have no home. I have no one with me. She doesn't have her, her mother, her, the ghost of her mother with her. And it's like, how am I going to maneuver this new world without someone who is my rock? I'm all, I identify with that in multiple ways. And I ask myself that every day. Uh. yeah and i just it, like um it just made me think like especially about older generations and uh, i think about like older generations of um black southern people when i read that line that's who i thought of at first i was like oh god i, I hear like so many of uh i just saw the flashes of so many people who have just been beaten down by life and they can't say how sad they are so that all they ever talk about is how tired they are mm-hmm and and that and that's what I thought of when I saw that line, but I also thought of like just yeah, like it, it how do you communicate that when you don't really know the language, right? Like you don't know the you don't know the idioms, the slang, you don't know you know, all all that comes with that. So yeah, I, I, I just felt for her in that moment because she was just basically like, I can't even I can't even communicate my burden. So I'm just gonna Say I'm tired and retreat into myself. And it just kind of like, for me at least, it drove home like just how lonely she was. Like you can't even, because part of me was thinking to him like, this is the way I was imagining the character. I was like, she's probably giving this off. Like it's probably radiating off mm-hmm. of her. And these, you know, people are trying to reach out, but they, they, they're not. They don't have the nuance necessarily to understand what she's going through to really reach out in the right way. Cause it's like, it's one thing just to invite somebody to hang out, but like, have you even built the trust and rapport that they trust that invitation to be like, you know, one where that would actually be good for them. Cause at this point she hasn't had a single really good experience with anyone here and no one's really like made the effort to even ask her like, just a general question. I think it was it was kind of like on Twitter today. It was a debate about like asking someone, how are you? Mm. And like, 
whether whether asking that and it's funny that even amongst native speakers there's still discussions about what phrases mean and what they entail so just asking how someone how they are should you actually expect an honest answer or is that just like being nice and that people shouldn't unload on you right so yeah so i saw that and then so it just kind of like i don't know i can just just the more we talk about the market understand how somebody would just feel in complete despair not knowing the language somewhere. Well, and, and and I want to circle back to what Will said too, because, and this is very fresh in my mind because this happened like four or five hours ago. Um, a, a mother and a daughter came into my classroom. My classroom is near the library um, of the school. And if you come from the parking lot, you could just end up in my classroom. The door was open. And, and, and I was like, oh, can I help you? Because they kind of peeked in. And I was like, you know, and I, I could shuffle them off somewhere else. And the mom didn't speak English and the daughter was asking, she said something like, Oh, do you have uh, um, books? And I was like, Oh, are you looking for the library? Library's right over here. No. And the mom said something. And then the daughter says, and just that communication from the mom to the daughter to me broke down like twice. And eventually I found out they just wanted a bell schedule. They wanted to know what time the classes started. And it took three attempts to understand from the mom what she wanted the daughter to have because the daughter didn't quite understand what was being asked too. And so just, I could see the frustration a little bit with the mom too, because, and the exhaustion, this isn't the first time this happened. It's probably happened multiple times, but I wasn't going to shuffle them away. I wanted to be helpful and I printed it out. I ran and got it and I made sure that they had it. And I was like, do you need anything else? Because who knows what's going to happen if you end up in someone else's classroom? You know what I mean? Not to say anything about my peers, but you know what I mean? Um, right. No. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, my day job, I have to talk to people on the phone all day. So I run, in, I run into this a lot. So I, so I, I kind of like, it's not to excuse people who get frustrated, but I started to pick up on things where I'm like, Oh, this is why probably people in the day to day get frustrated. Like for instance, when I can tell now, at least having done this for so many years, like, when someone's from like the East and they're just like learning English, their tone is very different. They sound like they're angry sometimes. They're really not. It's just, it's just the, the tone, the tonal is, is different. Right. So uh, that's, so I'm like, Oh, okay. You know what? This is probably why some people get frustrated because they say certain words very loud and it, mm. and it doesn't sound right to us. So it's like, are you mad? Like, wait, right. don't get mad to me. <laughs> why are you mad then, at me? You know, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like no, that's not it at all. It's just it's yeah. it's a translation issue, mm-hmm. or you know. So it, it it's just so much into it beyond just the word. I think, right. and Will was kind of hitting on that. It's not just knowing from word to word. It's the body language, the tone, the slang, the idioms. Like that's one thing I had to start like consciously doing too. When I would talk to people who I knew English wasn't their first language, I had to not use like metaphors or mm-hmm. not use like things that I knew may not necessarily because I can say it's raining cats and dogs, right? Someone that doesn't understand it. I'm like, what is animals coming out the sky? What? Like, so yeah. So it's like, you have to, I don't know. It's like, it's so, I don't even know what my point was, but there's so many different things that come into trying to assimilate into society that I think people don't even consider. Well, and sarcasm too. I'm pretty sarcastic, especially with my students. And when I have students that are still struggling um, with English and trying to do exactly what you're saying, trying to grasp idioms and nuance and all this other stuff. And then 
I had a student, this was one of my first years, come to me and say, Mr. Carr, I really like your class, but I'm afraid you're mad at me all the time. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's all, I guess I just don't get your sense of humor. I said, I'm being sarcastic. I will stop doing that with you <laughs> because he didn't, he didn't understand it. And we, we got really right. close later, but he had to come forward. And that took a lot for him to say like, dude, you're either mad at me or I don't understand. And I, right. and I totally got that. I totally got right. it, you know, but it took a little bit, you know? And even things like accents, like something I kind of learned being in San Diego is that apparently people from TJ that speak Spanish, their, their Spanish is considered country to more like Southern Mexicans. I'm like, what? That, that concept tricked me out because I was like, that's not even something I would think about. You know, you're just because you're just so focused on trying to understand the language. You're not even getting that in depth into it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just there's so much that goes into trying to assimilate into a new society on just the front of language itself. So. I wouldn't encourage anybody to listen to this. If you run into this now, hopefully you have a better understanding of like just how deep that concept can be. For sure. But, um, I mean, even if you think about like within America of people who speak English, mm. right? Like the way we talk in New York is rapid fire fast most times, you know, right. and it can come across very aggressive, very assertive when really you're just like, no, what? I'm just, I'm just telling you what I want. Um, right. I, I get that a lot. Um, <laughs> shut up, Marshall. Um, you know, I love you. But also, also for Spanish, you know, like when it's funny that you mentioned like the different type of, uh, in Mexico, you know, what's country, what's more modern. I mean, I know just from where, you know, my friends and family are like island Spanish people, like Puerto Rican, Cuban, Dominican, or I know we're always like, the Mexicans speak very bad uh, Spanish. Like they don't <laughs> use good verbs. So it's funny because, you know, there's, there's all these nuances and languages that, you know, when you're trying to learn, you're trying to figure out like, well, what am I saying? What am I not saying? Yeah. What is being said yeah. without being said? Yeah. And those little, those little cultural jabs too. Like, like, yeah. Not knowing any better. We were in high school and there was a Puerto Rican girl on the bus. Someone called her Mexican. She lost her shit. Mm. It was like, don't ever call me Mexican. But same with them Mexicans. They're like, these Puerto Ricans, they're stuck up. We're not, <laughs> you know, we don't deal with them. And I think too, yeah. though, think about sometimes how like Northerners think of Southerners with their oh, like, yeah. Southern drawl uh -huh. and, you know, the accent. And they're like, oh, they're so dumb. And really, it's yeah. like, no, they're not. Like, it's just, it's a different way of talking. You know? Oh, yeah. And then the way we talk about Northerners, we think all Northerners are jerks and they uh, don't have manners. They are exactly. you know, inconsiderate. Like, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I know some. I know somebody. I'm still trying to try yeah. to figure it out. But yeah. <laughs> all right. So they make it about Randall, by the way. Just messing with you, buddy. So I had one last little thing I wanted to talk about in terms of like writing, I guess. So. As writers, like reading is kind of like part of what we do. And that's what we have to do to learn and, you know, kind of grow as writers. So I'm going to ask you guys, as writers, after reading this story, what do you feel like you want to incorporate from it craft-wise into your own writing? Yeah, I know this one's a doozy, but I'm going to end it on a big note. You know, it's funny. And I saw the question sitting there, too. And yeah. I've been thinking about it for a couple of minutes. I was like, what did I... I, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna go back to something we talked about earlier. Um, the fact that this author pulled off a setting perfectly, 
we have no clue without, you know, we can infer a couple of things, but the fact that the setting was so pulled off so well that we actually can't place where this takes place. She did that on purpose. And that is, that's freaking brilliant and really well done. I don't know how she did it. I mean, I could reread the story a few more times, but I definitely got a sense of this is no place and could be any place at the same time. So craft wise, I want to be able to pull off setting to where I can ground someone in a place and they're in that place. And I don't know how to do that. So here we are. <laughs> well, I can go next. Okay. So for me, um, I really, really was impressed with language and how it was used on a sentence level here. And like, just how like, there, there were so many like impactful sentences, like the way most of the scenes in this short story ended with like a hard hitting ass line. And I was really impressed with that. And I was like, okay, you know what? You're making me think a lot more about the words I use to end the scene and like what I want people to feel at the end of each scene in the story and how it kind of carries the emotion through the whole piece. And and I don't know if you guys did this too, but I scrolled through just to kind of look at the piece before I read it. And I noticed all those breaks and I'm like, there's a lot of short things here, but you're right. Every time it ended, you weren't going to put it down. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was that punch at the end. You're like, Oh shit, I got to see what happens next. So yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Nick, go ahead. You haven't really talked a lot. Lies. <laughs> um, yeah, no, for me, I had a very emotional part. Okay. Um, for me, I actually looked at it like, and it was like, there's no dialogue. And so now I'm intrigued and I want to know how she set everything up, how she progressed the story, how she did show, don't tell, and how she executed that. Because I think that's really where the strong piece is at for me that really stood out is the show, don't tell portion um because a lot of this could be looked at as exposition right it's just there but it's really not like it's a lot of text that a lot of dialogue and it throws me off but i want to go back and look that and analyze it and see what i can pull from it and you're and nick about three quarters of the way through i thought the same thing i was like i felt like she they were having conversations but there wasn't any dialogue and that was pretty freaking cool and then there's definitely dialogue at the end, but I mean, it was pretty damn cool to be able to pull off conversations when there wasn't any dialogue, any dialogue quote, to, you know, quote marks or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, no, that was actually that. that now that y'all point that out, oh crap! I think yeah, go go back because, and look at the dialogue text because if yeah. you if you go back and look, even in the beginning, uh, there's a little bit in the very beginning. But there are other conversations that happen and there's no dialogue actually happening. It's just the way that she's crafting it makes it seem like there's conversations happening. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think a lot of that was because like like you were saying, Marshall, she let the she almost let the scene talk mm-hmm. sometimes. For sure. Yeah. All right, well, you're up. Uh what do I want to incorporate? Um I think it's just more I just want to keep I feel like this story makes me want to push more of myself into my stories that I don't, I don't tend to at first really write myself into things. It takes me a little bit. And I think that's basically 
based around fear. So yeah. I need to work through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's the power of revision. You can pour more of yourself into it with each version. But For yeah, sure. no. Okay. So I think that kind of wraps up this discussion on this piece. Uh, yeah, this was fun. I think this was a good time. It was nice to not be in the hot seat on the short story. <laughs> game, so. Well, you got to participate in the conversation a little bit more rather than explain, explain, explain yourself. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I'm going to, one, thank you for picking this story. Two, I hate you for picking this story. Three, thank you again for letting us talk about it because I didn't like it. And then we talked about it. Now I love it. <laughs> well, when, when like I picked the story, I had no idea that what is happening this week would be happening. Yeah. So like, I was like, I, shit. Like, yeah. Before what we came, perfectly timed story yeah. in the it's most a, horrible way. It's intense. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But yeah, really, I didn't. I didn't. I don't like the feeling it left me with. And I think that was like where I'm like, I don't like this. But yeah. It's, Technically, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. everything's there. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's a really good short story for sure. Yeah. So I would recommend everyone listening definitely read this. It's not just from the story itself is great, but like if you're a writer and you're wanting to kind of like you're wanting to level up as most of us do, I think these this is one of those short stories that you can digest and analyze and really like pick up on some things to improve your craft. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing. 